Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier. In a little bit, I'll be rejoined by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. This week, I am honored to welcome the Commissioner of the American Association, Josh Schaub, to the show. Josh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor, and um, it's been overdue. We should have had done this a long time ago, so I'm glad I'm here now. I know it has been a little while. I think over a year since we had you on, so glad to have you back here. Well, well, Josh, let's first of all just talk about great season in the American Association in 2022. Your thoughts on the season itself? Well, obviously, um, coming off of 2021, uh, where we still, and I, I hate to talk about it, but we were still coming off the pandemic a bit, had pandemic limitations in some of our stadiums. I thought 2022 felt like we were back to business. People are excited to be back out, excited to see our product. It showed in the numbers. I believe I just looked the other day. We went from 1.2 million to 1.5 million fans. So a great turnout and for our product. I thought we pushed the ball forward on a lot of episodic content and, and our social media grew. In terms of engagement, it grew like by 400%, which is an insane number to think about. So overall, the business metrics were outstanding. Then we had the return of the All-Star Game, which you know on the platform provided by Chicago was an amazing hit. We had a partnership with Baseball America, first of its kind, in all of professional baseball, where a league would combine with that publication. Then we were able to disseminate our playoffs to multiple different channels, and I, I received the numbers back on that today, and outstanding viewership. So the interest in the American Association continues to grow. Uh, we continue to get great feedback on the brand and what we're doing, and as far as the competition on the field, I think Game 5 and Fargo spoke for itself. It was down to the wire in every sense. The playoffs are exciting. The new playoff format, in my mind, and from the league office, worked out very well. The elimination games, the activation of the markets late in the season, I thought was a tremendous success. And, you know, the league's going to grow. Um, that playoff structure will be subject to change. But I thought for this year, it was outstanding. Well, let's kind of go into the season. Last year, I think, was the, the uh, we had you on just before the 2021 season began. Yep, Houston Apollo's coming in and filling out for the season. This year, you get Lake Country. How do you feel about the overall stability of all the franchises now with Lake Country as a new member? Oh, we feel great. I mean, to be honest, we look around the landscape of professional baseball, and a report just came out in SBJ that my affiliated minor league attendance was down. We, we don't have that issue. Clearly, I just talked about the metrics regarding attendance. Lake Country was an outstanding addition, you know, replacing the Houston Apollos. They did an outstanding job in that market getting people out to the ballpark. That's going to grow over time as they make adjustments in that stadium, their business best practices come into play. We feel very good in the American Association um, based not only on who our operators are, their financial outcomes, but the finances of the league and things we have implemented um, for the upcoming years. We feel very good about where we're going. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about expansion. So maybe you can't really talk to me about this now, but are, are there markets that you're kind of looking at at this point, and do you have a kind of projected timeline? Yeah, there's no secret we've been focusing in Texas. Right? That's been a public point we've made that we need to build out a Texas footprint. I think that's where the availability really is. If you examine the American Association geography as it currently stands, there's not a lot of open markets between Winnipeg and Dallas as far east as Gary and as far west as Lincoln, that will sustain the American Association team absent Texas. So we are in Texas. We're active in Texas. I think the earliest possible date we may see one market go is 2024. 
Um, we are engaged with four cities there with operators, potential operators. But as everyone knows, building stadiums is difficult. It's a long process. And the advent of the work-live play anchored by baseball stadium is real. And when you build out a bigger development and not just a baseball stadium, it takes a little more time. But there's also larger rewards on the backside of that, being that those are much more sustainable operations when it's encompassed with a lot larger development. So we feel good about Texas. There's also other activity in Missouri and in Tennessee, all early stage stuff, but where cities are engaged trying to seek these developments like we see in Milwaukee, like we're seeing being developed in Cleburne. That there may be, Kevin, or sorry, Rob, there may be a new building boom similar to what we saw in the early 2000s. Now, you know, to be honest with you, I was very surprised that nobody scooped up Jackson and any of these independent leagues. I mean, they, they did a great job with Winnipeg there, and that's just a nice double-A park. Uh, do you see that as a potential team joining the league at some point? Well, they're, they're in the prospect league, and I have to respect that that, that market went summer collegiate. Um, you know, any time there's an open stadium, you have to find an operator to operate the team. <laughs> and I think they were the only – RFP that actually came back to Jackson. So for whatever reason, uh, the greater landscape of professional baseball looked at that market and, and the operators, maybe in their finest hour of wisdom, said we're not going to be able to make it with professional baseball in Jackson. And I think there was also some issues with the lease, some hangover from the lawsuits that may have scared some people away. Now, I, I'm interested in this kind of economic climate. Are you finding that that's making expansion uh, – something that's that's even pushed a little bit further down the road as kind of teams and cities are a little unsure exactly what they can do going forward. That would be a question for developers um, as they think about building those ancillary developments around stadiums. I don't think it's going to impact cities' financials as much as it does the consumer, obviously. Interest rates will affect everybody. Um, but that's really a question for someone else if they think it's going to really impact construction because the other side of it is, they build up a lot of supply of materials, and if we see an instant crash in actual construction, supply costs will go down. So maybe it all balances out. I'm not sure. It's not my expertise, but um, I'm hopeful it does not, and we continue down the path we've started, which is uh, construction and expansion in multiple cities. Okay, now I, I think it's, it was no secret I wasn't a particularly big fan of four teams making the playoffs in each division, but those – last weeks of the playoff race were, were stunning. So do you see that as kind of moving forward that four teams are going to continue to be playoff teams for next year in each division? Well, our directors meet Wednesday and Thursday in Vail, Colorado, and that is an agenda item. I, like you, had my trepidation regarding that many teams in the playoff, but as I started with the opening about the season, it really activated so many markets, and especially markets that haven't been in the playoff hunt in a while that otherwise wouldn't have been in a four-team playoff. So if we look back, and, and the numbers may not be apparent this year, but what you'll see is some excitement that was grown in those markets. They can go to the offseason and say, listen, we're a playoff team, or we were two games out of the playoffs. They're talking to sponsors. They're talking to uh, group leaders. They're talking to season ticket holders. That It created some excitement, and everybody wants an opportunity to win, and I think that 18 playoff does it. Um, so I, I – I, I'd speculate and say we're not going to go back to the four-team playoff. I like where it sits. I'm not a big fan of changing playoff structures every year, although MLB has done it multiple times here in recent years. 
I prefer we stay the same or slightly modify it instead of eliminating four teams because the benefits were shown this year about why that 18 playoff is important. Yeah, I'm curious from being the commissioner here now, um, if you're a Milwaukee fan, you loved the playoff format this last year, and I heard that a lot from Milwaukee guys. If you're a Kane County or a Chicago guy, you clearly hated it. So how do you hedge that to make everybody happy? I'm not sure. I mean, every year someone is kind of going to have bad travel. I explained this to directors. You look at the NFL, you look at the NBA, there's always one team that doesn't like their schedule. They, you know, Seattle, typically, because they travel three times as much as anyone else. In fact, in the NFL this year, I saw the Seahawks had something like 27,000 miles of travel, and the Pittsburgh team had 8,000 miles of travel. Nobody is ever going to like it as a mass, right, in whole. It's never going to be unanimous, like, this is exactly what we want to do. So I don't know. It's hard to tweak it for everyone to make them happy. There's no doubt about it. And part of it is geography, just their geographical outliers. I would say the one that maybe causes consternation more is the three-game series, because a lot more can happen in a three-game series unpredictably than it can in the five-game series. Kind of looking forward, heading into next season, um, are there are there going to be like new innovations, new things coming out of Major League Baseball that you guys would like to try? Yeah, and this is probably people can guess this, but pitch clocks are the, all the rage right now. Um, you know, pitch clocks have brought affiliated minor league games down to two thirty eight. I think is the last stat I saw. And I went to an affiliate game. I went up to Wisconsin and, and watched, and I can tell you in three innings I thought to myself, this product looks so great because of the pace at which people move. And it's not that pitch clocks have changed the game. It's pitch clocks have actually returned the game to the game we grew up loving, the game you and I watched where big leaguers never left the box, where pitchers got the ball and put their foot back on the rubber. That's what pitch clocks have done, and I can't say that it's not appealing and something that we should look at. Because the product on the field where fans can stay, families can stay and watch the whole game instead of having to leave in the seventh inning because they got to get the kids home, that's something we should really strive for. And pitch clocks may be the only way to get there, and it, it can't just be rule changes. So that's something to look forward to. You know, behind the scenes, it's no, we, we made a public rep, so it will be installed in total by April 2023. So some of that data will be available to our fans. We continue to look at new episodic content. Carter would deal, I think, would agree everyone would agree, has done a fantastic job being a media personality for a league and some of the content that's being put out. There's tweaks to our multimedia department and how we're going to capture content in-game to deliver better content in real time to our fans. We look for more distribution of our games. Uh, AABaseball.tv is a great product. You'll always have access to all of our games and be able to watch. But we need to find some greater audiences and bigger audiences. So distribution of our games will also be at the forefront going into next year. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Josh. I, I just want to ask this, if this is something you even have thought about. But, you know, if you watch the Major League Baseball playoffs, they will try to stagger when start times begin so that you could watch more than one game. Is that kind of a thought you, that maybe next year you could have, like the West Division may begin at 4 o'clock on a Saturday and, and there's a 7 o'clock game in the East, so I could watch both at the same time. Or not at the same time, but at yeah. different times. Down the road, yes. I mean, I don't think our television audience is there to justify potentially losing ticket sales in one site because we're dictating when they start their game. But it is 
actually ironically in phase four of a broadcast plan that we would maneuver start times. And it may be, um, Rob, on particular nights we could do that this year. Let's say it's July 4th, some special day, and we try to stagger those games because we know viewership would be high. Or the playoffs or playoffs would be high in terms of viewership. But it's down the road. It's not going to be anything immediate. Right now, we, we still need to focus on selling tickets. Now, uh, Kevin and I were talking last week about the fact of everybody always asks you stuff about the league. We'd like to ask you some stuff about yourself. So h- how does your love for baseball begin? That's a great question. You're right. Nobody really asks about that. And, and truthfully, if you look at commissions across professional sports, no one really digs into, are you a fan of this game? And I can easily say I'm a massive baseball fanatic. I have been the entirety of my life. My first birthday was spent at County Stadium watching the Brewers. My favorite player growing up was Paul Molitor. It's not even a question. Robin Yount maybe is number two <laughs> for obvious reasons. Uh, so I, at a very early age, loved baseball. My father was an official in seven different sports for high school, so I spent a lot of time traveling with my dad to sports, but his first love was baseball. My brother's first love was baseball. I w- played high school baseball in northern Wisconsin, not exactly the hotbed of baseball, but I, was, I always tell people I was a little pretty good high school player. College, the game sped up on me pretty quick. Um, and then I went on after college to become um, or to work in the Brewer Scouting Department immediately after college. So I was at the forefront, not me personally, just from a uh, time period of Moneyball, where analytics started to become something. And my job was focusing on the rule for amateur draft. Where do players come from? What's the typical height and weight of a big leaguer? What kind of metrics should we be looking at to predict what a big leaguer looks like? And I'm working in media guides and spreadsheets, so it's nothing like we're, we're utilizing today. So while I was with the Brewers, uh, working under Jack Sorensic, had this all-star cast of scouts who went on to do great things in the game around us, I was fortunate enough to meet Harvey Keene. Harvey Keene Jr., uh, scout for the Brewers for 30 years, and I overheard him saying he was going up to the Metrodome to scout. And so I approached him and introduced myself and said, well, I'm heading up to the Twin Cities this weekend as well, which I wasn't. I just, in the moment, said, I'm going to figure out how to get up to the Twin Cities to scout. Can I, and I asked, can I sit with you? And Harvey, maybe he regrets this now because I've pestered him so much and we spent so much time together in follow-on years, but he sat behind me. He agreed, and he sat behind me at the Metrodome. And we watched, shoot, over the course of three days, probably 10, 12 games. And he would just talk into my ear about what we're looking at. You know, what does a six arm look like? What does a forearm look like? What this guy's swing tells me about who he's going to be as a big leader. Um, how a person runs, how an outfielder tracks a ball. And that's how I learned how to scout is just traveling with him and having him talk out loud during the game. And then I was fortunate enough to go on to law school in the tw- Twin Cities, staying on as a part-time scout for the Brewers, and being able to meet all kinds of scouts as they came through the Metrodome early in the spring. And I was fortunate enough that Harvey introduced me to them, and they all took me under their wing, one being Terry Ryan with the Twins while he was on his sabbatical. And I spent a lot of time with those scouts um, back when all we did was talk about the five tools. And we used our eyes to grade players. So I kind of have an old-school baseball background compared to what I think a lot of executives do today. So I graduated law school um, 2008, not exactly the best time to be graduating law schools. I had a job for about three weeks until they laid everybody off. 
uh, practicing law. I started my own law firm. I did bankruptcy for three years, and my business partner and I built a pretty good firm. And a deal came across my desk as I started to work more in transactional work, primarily in purchasing and selling toxic sports assets. And it was a team in the Frontier League. And my client backed out of the deal. I found two partners, and we bought the Joliet Slammers, did that for three years, uh, grew the expertise on that side of operating a team. Um, during law school, by the way, I should back up, I was also the clerk for Clark Griffith, the then commissioner of the Northern League. I helped consult uh, with the team in that league and player procurement for that year, so I started getting my feet wet independent league baseball. Uh, and then following the Slammers, um, became the commissioner of the MASL, which gave me experience on that front. And fortunately, when Miles determined it was time to hang it up in the American Association, I had met a lot of the owners of that league through various networks, and I was offered an interview in Las Vegas, and they chose me for the position. So there's, there's a lot more to that story, but that's the baseball background and how I ended up where I'm at right now. So is this one of those situations when I talk to college football coaches, they tell me no, none of their family or friends like to watch like NFL games with them because they're always seeking it like a coach. So does nobody like to watch baseball with you because you're giving kind of a scout point of view of games? No, I've kind of backed off that because I realize I've been out of that world for so long. You know, I don't, you know, show up and talk to our managers and critique our players, obviously, by any stretch of the imagination. I, I will share a, a funny story, though. I, you know, there's so much baseball in my life, and, it, you know, at times it consumes my family, whether it's, you know, putting the AA games up on the TV. I watch them during the day while I'm working, so those games are always on in the background. But my son, every time he hears baseball, thinks, Dad's leaving. You know, dad's leaving because baseball's up, so he's going to travel and go somewhere. So for him, it's kind of a pain point now, but I hope he grows to love the game, um, and I think he will. But, yeah, baseball in my household, is we're able to once in a while turn it off and focus on each other, but it is a big part of our life. So what position was a young Josh Job starring at on the Diamond? Uh Second base and shortstop. You know, if anyone has seen my stature, they probably realize I was not playing first base. I wasn't on the mound because I had the fat, flattest and straightest fastball anyone could have ever seen. But I was playing middle infield. I could run a little. I could throw. But once I saw a really good breaking ball, I, like many people in the history of this game, started to have some trouble. So, so are you still a huge Brewers fan to today as well? You know, ironically, when you get into this industry, your fandom kind of – goes away it, once you're in the inside. So when I started with the Brewers in 2005, I was still a big fan. But you kind of learn how the sausage is made. And I'm not saying it's a turnoff. It's just you look at the game a different way. Now I look at the game and think about contracts. I think about sponsors. I think about um, the impact of a team winning or losing and how that will affect the local economy. And I mean, I just look at the, that differently when I watch the Milwaukee Brewers than I ever have. Um, I know the people that are signing those players. So I'm less of a fan of the team itself and more of a fan of the game of baseball is the best way I can put it in the baseball industry. My fandom has now switched to college football, and that's where I can be a fan. And then in baseball, it's more of that's our work. So it's slightly different. Now, now you were talking about how you like the the pitch clock and kind of the it, it pacing the game better as you look at how baseball is changing even including like the the use of all these stats and and readings and sabermetrics how, how do you like that impact on the game now 
I think we're missing a lot. I think sabermetrics is a part of the puzzle, a piece of the puzzle, but I read the article yesterday about Joe Madden and the GM calling down to the, the dugout and telling him which relievers were available and which relievers were unavailable. And I can tell that it's just you lose so much of this game worrying about what a computer says and not understanding the human behind the game. And Terry Ryan once told me, and this is when the pendulum is really swinging in that direction. He goes, you watch, Josh. Some team will kind of abandon sabermetrics or at least pivot away to more of the human side and start hiring a bunch of older scouts, and they're going to win a World Series, and the pendulum will swing back the other way. So I'm waiting for that pendulum to start to come back. I think we're going to see more mistakes being made by the computer, and people are starting to second-guess whether computers telling us when to make pitching changes is really the right thing to do. And, and it's going to come when a team does pivot away from it and trust their manager to read the human element of the game again. I'm glad to hear you say that because one of the things I've always disliked about this age in baseball is I think a guy like Greg Maddox wouldn't even get a chance today. I, I think it's kind of taking away from the art of the game. I've said this many times, but the beauty of the American Association is we haven't lost that human element. We can still be romantic about the American Association. It's like the game we grew up loving, which I said earlier, and that's the American Association still resonates with so many people because of that. And I think people have been alienated by Major League Baseball in a lot of respects. Not Major League Baseball as an entity, just the way the game is being played and the style of the game. And they're doing their best to return it. Um, through pitch clocks, through some other things to speed it up, but in banning the shift, another thing, you know, to return some action to the game. The American Association remains the game you grew up loving, those things that we can be romantic about. So, and I really, under our commissionership, hope that continues. So when you're sitting there at the championship series, you know, and five great games, are, are you able to at least kind of sit and enjoy those as a fan and not as much as the commissioner? Yeah, you know what, I, I, I was. I was able to watch quite a bit. Obviously, I don't sit behind a dish the whole game, which I kind of wish I could. Um, I have to go around and talk to people and talk to vendors, but I do get to see a lot of the game, a lot more than I do in the regular season. I'm walking around, taking notes, walking with owners, touring the stadium, so on and so forth. But you know what really is hard? When the game is going to end, you have to go down underneath the tunnel with the trophy, and you kind of miss a lot of the action at the end of the game because you're worried about the trophy presentation and what's going to happen. So I wish someday I could sit back and enjoy the end of those games, especially Game 5 in Fargo. To be able to witness that as a fan had to be amazing, and I think the reaction of the fans showed that. But, yeah, I think it gets a little hectic towards the end when we're trying to think about uh, presenting and the, and the product we want to put on the field for the trophy presentation. Yeah, and what an exciting ending, too. You know, a walk-off hit like that. I, I think Kevin and I were talking about it. I think that's the first time in an American Association Championship Series since, like, 2013 or something. Uh, you're racing down to the field to get that trophy out, I gather. Yeah, no, it was exactly like that. I mean, even in the seventh inning, we are starting to think about, what you know, what should we do? It's a visiting team that's up 8-3. Um, that has a whole different vibe than when the home team wins it, and all of a sudden things got flipped on their head, and we started thinking about the presentation a little differently, how long we let this party roar on before we award the trophy, so on and so forth. So, yeah, that, that's a little nerve-wracking as we get down to the wire. 
Well, well, let's come back a little bit to this upcoming season. Um, Frontier League already came out with their schedule. I, I thought that was interesting for tickets. Do, do you see possibly moving forward with a schedule earlier than November this year? Yes, I do. So we actually received our third or fourth version of it today. Um, Deputy Commissioner Buckholz is in a deep dive in it right now. So, yes, we, we hope to have it out here in the short term. We know it helps ticket sales to a certain extent. You're able to establish dates with group leaders. Um, we think it's a worthwhile cause to get started a lot earlier, but there's a lot of things that play into that. When do we want to start our season, end our season, all-star game? There's decisions that have to be made pretty early. And when you talk about expansion, you need to know you're not going to be having any team to join you. So that's always kind of the holdup ahead of um, the schedule coming out. We're able to resolve those things. I think looking forward to 2023, 24, 25, we'll have that schedule out a lot over there. Are we looking at kind of the same time frame, that mid-May to Labor Day for this season? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it'll be traditional American Association season. There won't be any deviations in terms of the timing of our schedule, number of games, anything of that nature at all. I mean, I think we'll announce our playoff format coming out of our meetings this week. And then everyone will know where the chess pieces sit heading into the 2023 season. Uh, do you have an idea of where the All-Star game may be this season, or that's not something you're going to tell me right now? I was going to say, I have an idea, but I'm not ready to disclose that yet. I'm going to finalize <laughs> it here in the next 72 hours, um, and we'll be off to the races. Um, I'm curious, because Kevin and I talked about this. Uh, do you feel a necessity for All-Star Game to switching between East and West? Because having all those teams right around uh, Chicago gave all, you know, Milwaukee and Gary, a lot of fans from other areas. Could you see a, an East area again getting the All-Star Game this year? Yeah, and I'm not – I would love the idea of going East-West alternating years. I think it helps to create awareness of our sport through media or through our, of our league through media and whatnot on both sides of the league footprint. But it all comes down to we want to be in the best markets, best operators, people that want to have the all-star game and are investing in the all-star game. That's what's going to be really critical for us. So we're very fortunate in the American Association. We have great operators that want to host this game. That's the one thing we really have going for us. Um, and, it, and I think that will continue. And, and as affiliated baseball and others downplay their all-star game, we're amping it up. We want it to be – one of our jewel events and things that our fans can celebrate together about. Because look at this year's All-Star Game. The Home Run Derby decided on the last swing, uh, went to the top of the ninth inning when Jabari Henry hits the three-run home run to put him up top. It's exciting. It, it's, it's a product in itself and a sports property in itself, and we want to continue that and be different than what we're seeing the trend go to in other leagues and in general other sports. Now, I asked you this when the season began, do you see a potential time where the American Association may pay, play the Frontier League champion or something like that? Is, is that even a possibility that you consider? I would consider it, yes. Um, I look at it as a ladder. And, and I, one thing that really I wish Major League Baseball, um, when, then they will. They'll, they'll come around to this. They're just, you know, they're implementing a lot of change over there and we're partners in this, but showing the world that the partner leagues are, in fact, the ladder to Major League Baseball. So having postseason play against the other partner leagues shows a ladder, um, and it's going to gain more attention to our leagues as a possible path for professional players to Major League Baseball. So, yes, I see it. 
I think we want it in some level. It has to make sense for all parties economically. Um, and on a grander scale, I hope this game grows where we can participate in international events as well. So those are all, you know, on the runway to hopefully we can take off here in the next few years. Well, that's exciting stuff, Josh, and I I'm looking forward to all that for this coming season and seasons beyond. And so before I let you go today, it, uh, you, you haven't been around here in a little while, but it's always our custom to allow our guests to give us a final thought. So, Josh, send us out here today. Well, final thought, and I'm remiss I didn't bring it up earlier, one of the great achievements of our league was the Hall of Fame. And I hope for fans that weren't able to, to watch or look at that, go back and look at the induction of Miles Wolf in the American Association Hall of Fame, the godfather of independent league baseball. I think for yourself, for Kevin, you know, that Hall of Fame means a lot to a lot of people, and I hope it does to our fans out there. And we look to grow that and implement it going into the future. I encourage all of our fans to go check out AABaseball.tv. There's free content on there. If you're looking for American Association viewership in the offseason, it's there. You can go check it out for free. There's a lot of the mini documentaries. I think we put some games up for free. So go check it out uh, when you get a chance, AABaseball.tv. Fantastic. Josh, thanks for joining me this week. I appreciate this. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Well, let me welcome back Kevin in here. Uh, Kevin, we, uh, Commissioner talked about, you know, some things going on up here for the upcoming seasons, and it looks like the, the biggest news that we're going to have for this upcoming year is going to be the pitch clock. Exciting. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I get where he's coming from, is that, uh, you know, everybody seems to be going towards shorter games. It's spread throughout the minor league system and, and at the major league level for coming in. And uh, that that seems to be the the way that things are going out there. That everybody's against two hour, you know, everybody wants two hour and thirty five minute games for some reason. And uh, so I think us old timers are going to have to step aside, so to speak, and and let the let the games go quicker. I guess. I can remember all the way back in nineteen ninety three. That was one of the gimmicks that the Northern League broke out when they started play, and either. Keep in mind, we're talking 1993-type technology. I'm sure it's going to be much better laid out this time. Heck, I don't think there was such a thing as a video board in the Northern League. <laughs> so half the time, uh, let's split it by thirds. Third of the time, the umpire ignored it. A uh, third of the time, they didn't know how to operate the clock, and a th the other third of the time, the clock flat out did not turn on altogether. It was scrapped by the end of the season. But like I said, this time I'm sure with the technology we got now that uh, will be intact. But, you know, that's just going to be another thing that you're going to have to have an operator up in the press box operating the clock in having to know exactly when you start it up and when you're supposed to stop it. So it'll be interesting to see how they work out the dynamics of that. Well, if, if there's one saving grace out of the whole thing, let's hope it's not directly connected into point streaks somehow or another because you know it, it will never work correctly if that's the case. So that system I don't think is still working correctly after all these years. So how about that? Uh, uh, 1993, there was a 
they had a clock too between innings and when the clock expired it was a horn sounding like it it sounded like a horn like if you're at like a public pool they want everyone to get out of the pool so that the the they can the, the lifeguards could go on break that's what it sounded like it was, you know it was just one of those sounds you just remember after 30 some years yeah I think we're going to have to kind of realize, though, Kevin, is that these kind of things are working their way through the system. That you know, everybody wants to find ways to make baseball better, supposedly, and uh, this is just one of those plans. I don't know if it's great for baseball, but um, it's, it is the way it is. What it is, I think, right now, and and this is where we're stuck at. Well, you know, I would think the. The pitchers shouldn't um, be affected much by it if they have any kind of flow to their game whatsoever. You know, the town ball that I'm covering, there is a pitcher pitching for New Prague, Nate Sproles. I swear, the, the, the kid, if there is a runner on base, the game grinds to a screeching halt. He'll be pitching, and I will sit on my phone. Get, and I will I will operate the stopwatch on my phone, and time how long it takes him to throw a pitch. And then sometimes it's like forty five. Matter of fact, I think he even went a minute between pitches, and he's kind of become notorious for it. So I have a feeling that if you, there's a pitcher like that, that well, or for one thing, the the pitch clock would stop him, but. You know, it's going to be interesting, too. Do you enforce that clock during the entire game or just, like, for the first seven innings? Because you get late into a game, it's a one-run ball game. There's such an added emphasis on to every pitch that it seems like um, you don't really want a gimmick to be affecting a ball game. Do you want, do you want a guy that ends up getting a game-winning walk because ball two on him was because the pitch took too long to get delivered. That's a I'm very interesting point. I, mean, no. I, don't, I don't mind either way what they want to do with it, but I'm just pointing out the you know, scenarios that could arise. I think that's a very interesting point. Yeah, I will say that for two two aspects that I see this is, is kind of a good idea. And while I, I was a big Ian Gack fan, liked him a lot, and got to spend a lot of time talking with him in his couple of seasons there in St. Paul, and when he was with Lincoln, but his between pitch ritual was just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry, it, it was just the 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 strap around his his uh, guard and his hand uh, that he had for his gloves came off and got rewrapped every pitch. And it was like, okay, I know I know it didn't move that much in the last half second, okay, but. But so I get that. The other thing I think we need to kind of realize too is is that the ultimate goal of a guy from affiliate or from independent ball is to get back into affiliate ball, and if they're using pitch clocks um, at that level, well, you know you gotta you gotta give a guy his best opportunity to get a chance back into there. And I, and I think if anything can stand in a person's way, and they go, well, you know, the reason that we're not considering this guy is he doesn't really know how to pitch his way through a game quickly. Or he may not adjust, you know, whatever affiliate crap that they come up with to try to deny somebody to getting back in a ball there. I, you know, you remove that barrier. And so, I, you know, it just it's another way to help a guy, I guess, Devin, is the way I would look at it. 
I saw enough games in the CHS field the last couple of years with AAA baseball, and after a while, you don't even notice that the pitch clock is there. There's rarely a violation. Maybe yeah. that's yeah, I think. maybe it's just pitchers have gotten used to it, or it's just maybe there's just enough time in that clock where pitchers don't really have to get out of their rhythm that much to speed up and throw a pitch. Well, it sounds like though, Kevin, uh, from the commissioner there, that we're gonna we're not gonna have expansion teams this year, but it looks like we're pretty close to having something in 2024. At least a couple of teams, and might even have four or six at that point. Uh, I think the most important thing out of that, Kevin, is that what he talked about it—that that we have a very sustainable group of owners out here. It looks like Lake Country wound up being a great ownership group to come in, and I don't see any major issues other than what's going on in Sioux City right now. So. Um, I don't think we're looking at any kind of problems with any of these franchises. So I, maybe, I, 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 do I dare say the league has never been at a healthier point than it is right now? Is it, can I boldly say that? I don't think it would be far-fetched to say it, but I don't think the problems in Sioux City have just magically gone away. So I hope that between the league, between the, the Sioux City ownership and between the city of Sioux the Sioux City itself, that they can get together this winter and work on a long-range plan to make American Association baseball work in Sioux City. And, and you know, Kevin, something you and I have, have tried to shy away from talking about this season out of respect for Sioux City, um, but I, I think it's time that you and I kind of let the cat out of the bag here, so to speak. You know, this was a very tough year for Connor Ryan, there in Sioux City, who's out broadcasting, was basically running the club from the road. Okay, now the guy, what's to understand, people? The guy was hired to broadcast games. But he wound up running everything for this club. Steve Montgomery was out till like 12 and 1 o'clock in the morning after games, mowing lawns and cleaning fields, and then getting up early in the morning to go out back out there and ensure that stuff around the stadium was done right. Two guys who, who were hired for completely different jobs were running this organization, and, and I, I, you know, I don't think it's unfair to say that some serious changes need to happen in terms of the management structure of this club if they're going to wind up thriving and being a, a, a viable franchise. Otherwise, there might be bigger problems ahead. I was disappointed that Connor Ryan was not recognized by the league in some form or fashion, either by broadcaster of the year or executive of the year, just for all the stuff that he had to, that was put on his plate in Sioux City. I was hoping that there would have been some sort of recognition for him. Granted, you and I both know uh, how good of a job he does, and we know what kind of a guy Connor Ryan is, but, you know, uh, our, our accolades aren't exactly um, uh, world-renowned recognition, so I was hoping that there would have been some sort of you don't get a plaque for being Robin Kevin's favorite. <laughs> really? We have to work on that. But you're bringing up a good point, Kevin, and and it's a spot where Connor had to fill like nine roles this year for a guy, you know, 60 days out of the year who's out on the road traveling with club broadcasting games, but still having to figure out ticket sales and and all kinds of other stuff going on back in Sioux City. It did a phenomenal job in all of those aspects. Uh, you know, J John is a, a guy who's been around the league a long time. John Rose, the owner understands what it is to run a club, has dedicated himself to the Sioux City Explorer. There, there's nobody that can say that this guy doesn't love his team and wants to see them win. 
I, I just hope that this is a time that he really reaches out for somebody who gets fired up about being GM there and just bring in a culture that says we're going to not only win on the field, but we're going to do some things to get fans in here. Because I think our biggest complaint about Sioux City, Kevin, has been over these years is that the lack of support within the city. And I hope that that changes soon here. But you can't have a, a baseball version of a football offensive coordinator being asked to sell beer during the game. <laughs> very true. You know, this very, very true. You got, you got to give them the tools to succeed. You can't just, just keep um, staying in your own little problem where a guy's going to, guy or gal is going to come in, get the GM job, and, and they're going to be overloaded because you haven't done anything different. You know, you have to spend money to make money. And what you got to spend yep. money on is people that can go out there and help you make some money. Yep. You know, the general manager's got to have them. Um, they got to have people under them that they can get out there and talk to businesses and go to schools, churches, fish fries, meat raffles, whatever. Get out there and be in the community. I. I don't know. Maybe the damage is done. Maybe after all these years, uh, the Sioux City Explorers are always going to be an afterthought in the in the realm of um, entertainment options in Sioux City. So I think it's going to take uh, somebody with a great deal of enthusiasm and quite a bit of savvy to get things turned around there. Well, let's hope that's the case. We love Sioux City. Raffles. We love the meat raffles. <laughs> meat raffles. I like that. That's the suggestion of the year right there. I'm loving it. That's fantastic. Sponsor me. Yes, I agree completely. And probably the only in the American Association, only team having a meat raffle. So I think that's a great idea. So let, let's, well, let's know, go for it. My wife just went to one last weekend. The, the club was packed. She went to a gun bingo. Sponsored gun bingo. I, I don't I don't really want to know how much she paid a card to be in it, but uh, the Eagles Club was packed with people that were playing bingo for a chance to win a gun. I think that's a sensational plan. <laughs> like it a lot. Excellent. Did she win though? Is the question, Kevin? No, she did not win, but okay. she's got enough guns as it is, so we're not. Right on. Uh, well, let's see what else we got going on. Uh, so we're look. We're going to find out more in the next few days about what the playoff format is going to be like for this coming season. The commissioner sounded like he was thinking we're going to wind up keeping four teams in from each of the divisions, and that. But the format may change exactly how the playoffs come down. Um, we're hoping that Kevin Luco plan there. The Kevin Luco plan winds up becoming the playoff format for this year. We're going to be pushing yeah. that. Yeah, let's call it the Luco plan. I like it. Yeah, that's, nice. I think and that's what we're going to stay with there. Marshall plan fixed Europe after World War II. The Luco plan fixed American Association baseball playoff structure. I'm liking it a lot. That, and it's going to stay up in that, that kind of realm in the way I'm thinking here now. There's that's a, what I want. If that works out, I want a division named after me. You know, you used to have it in hockey in the Northern Division, the Adams Division, Smythe, Camel Division. I want the Luco Division. Find someone else that really qualifies, they can have the other division. But 
preferably the, the West. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that's much to ask. You know, I, I don't. To be honest, with you, I really don't think that that's uh, that's too over the top of a suggestion. So I, I, I think hey, they had to go. In all seriousness, even if it wasn't me, I would do that because let's be honest. The most of the time. The geography doesn't really match up with the name anyway, so why not give each division a, a name of, you know, like after a famous player or executive? I mean, they, they already got the Miles Wolf Cup, so they've got that cover. Maybe have the, I don't know, the back division and then, you know, some other, maybe the Abercrombie division. I'm liking it. Too bad there wasn't a great American Association player who was Fitch. Abercrombie and Fitch. Okay. Didn't, didn't come See, together, now, unfortunately. If I wasn't busy changing beer prices all afternoon, I could have been on with you guys. I could have been throwing this um, stuff to the commissioner as we were going today, and maybe we could have had some ideas thrown out at the owner's meeting. Well, you can count on it before next season. We're going to have the commissioner back on again, and uh, we're going to Kevin will get to pitch a lot of suggestions to him. We could text him though, still, Kevin. I'm just wasting it on the tens of people that will listen to this podcast. (laughs) Uh, There isn't really any exciting news going on in transactions out there. A lot of teams exercising contracts on guys for next year, both uh, Kansas City. And, excuse me, not both, but Kansas City, Lincoln, and Sioux City all did that. Um, a number of players were also released. A lot of times that generally means the player is reaching for retirement or is deciding that they would like in a shot in another league out there and doesn't want their, do not want their contract um, held by the club any longer because they'd like to try to get into the Atlantic or, or do something with themselves. So that happens out there. So we'll we'll see how that winds up working out. Uh, I believe that in Lincoln, I'm going to check this out here. Uh, it does. I'm not seeing. Maybe I'm mistaken here, but I do not see the contract exercised on Greg Minier out here, Kevin. So we might have to ask Greg to come back on and explain what the heck all that's about. So maybe he's uh, maybe he's got something else going on or moving on to something else. We'll have to find out. Greg, yeah. we're, we're looking out for you. Yeah, you never know. Kevin always tells me, don't don't pay attention to these kind of things right now because they don't really matter at this point. So I'm going to heed that advice right now. Uh, Frontier League named a couple of new managers there, including Jared Lemieux over there with the Crushers. This will be the new manager for the upcoming season. Florence names uh, Chad Rhodes as their manager for 2023. Atlantic League uh, has just their end-of-the-year awards, which we talked about, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Or no, actually, we didn't because their season just ended, didn't they? So Courtney Hawkins named as the player of the year after tying the single-season home run mark. And uh, do we have any other awards for out, them out there? I don't think so. Daryl Thompson was named as pitcher of the year, it looks like, from the Maryland Blue Crabs. And that is our two awards they have listed out on their website. And I think that is... Uh, I think that's all we got going on right now out there in independent baseball, isn't there? Is, or, uh, do we care anything about Major League Baseball playoffs in any way? I, I'm sure they're on TV, and people can find them on their favorite uh, channels. That's that's what I think. I think some teams won first-round series. I couldn't tell you much more beyond that, though. That's, that's as far as they got. Because right now, Kevin, since uh, American Association baseball season ends, 
You know what season we're looking at now? Drop the puck. Hockey well, there is one, there right. one more transaction we didn't bring up that on behalf of this week in the association and minor league sports report, we did exercise the option on photographer Jennifer Andreacci for the 2023 season. Absolutely. Uh, the best photographer in any baseball stadium anywhere out there. She, she's doing a heck of a job. And, and uh, you know, I have to say that I, I, I didn't interview her after uh, the game five of the championship series. I've been kind of shooting myself in the head about that kind of thing, saying I should have done that. But no, I don't think I saw anybody who was happier for winning outside of a player or manager than her. I'm very excited that, to see her club wind up winning there. And, and uh, so I should, we should say congratulations to, to Jennifer as well, because I know she's pretty thrilled about those Red Hawks winning. Weren't you supposed to have the end-of-the-year um, exit interview with her before we wrapped up the season? Well, we might need to do that. We might need to have her on here for a show just to talk about uh, what she thought about this kind of thing. And you know, I, I bet she has some what her expectations are. What we, you know, <laughs> what we could do to improve. Yeah, exactly. I agree, and you know, I, I think also, I, I, we should have her on here during the winter because I bet she's got some super fun stories because she did a lot of traveling this year, fans. She was out there. She went to Chicago and Milwaukee and King County and Gary and Kansas City and Lincoln, uh, Sioux Falls. Um, I, I think she went everywhere but four stadiums this year. If I'm Cleburne, Winnipeg. Maybe she did go to Winnipeg, as a matter of fact, now that I think about it. Uh, I think Cleburne and that might have been it. Like she went to Lake Country. I think she went to every stadium but Cleburne this year. So she's probably yeah, got some great that, stories we're going to have to drag in. Yeah, so find out what she was thinking about. And, you know, Michael Jones up in Fargo that we've gotten to know, he's, uh, him and his wife are a real renowned traveler, too. They've been involved with independent baseball since the uh, Red Hawks have been in business then. You know, if you do it enough, you can really figure out the system as far as accommodations as far as places to go when you're in town. It, to me, that's half the battle is uh, trying to knock these trips out and do it to, within a budget. And I'm sure they both got some some um, tips he could give us on how to, how to get off a little easier and save some bucks while you're doing some traveling. And one of the interesting things that he should... Exactly. And, you know, one of the interesting things that he shared with us was that every one of the ballparks, he reached out to their GM before he got there, and he got a, a tour around the, every one of the ballparks. You know, he went out there like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The GM or the, the owner of one team showed him around the entire ballpark and, you know, kind of let him see all the stuff that was going on and see him and his wife. And so, um, you know, if he can give you some tips on how to get – how to get uh, in on the club and, and get to see all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes as well. So then you won't need Kevin and I to share our little insights anymore. So that might hurt us. Maybe it maybe kill that idea. Don't, uh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we need something to talk about. There we go. Well, Kevin, I think that takes us through independent baseball this week. Uh, so why don't you take us out on our final thought? Ah, boy. I was 
kind of going back and forth on some stuff, um, but boy, I, I think I used all my good material within the show. I don't think I have much left, but yeah, you make a good point about hockey coming up. I've done a couple wild preseason games, and it's just amazing how quick the seasons can transform. It's still pretty nice weather-wise, but you know, this week I'll be doing the wild home opener, a game in Des Moines, and then back up to St. Paul for another game. And then me and a friend are plotting a trip out to go to Madison for a Badger hockey game and then down to Chicago for a wild game at United Center. So, you know, we're just talking about these trips with baseball. You know, if you do a little work, and if you're really into something like hockey or even basketball during the winter. Granted, the winter driving can be a hassle, but if you plan a, if you don't plan too far in advance where you're going to be stuck with a hotel that you're not going to use, you know, you can do some pretty fun trips in the winter, fall and winter too. So, you know, you just don't, don't think that once baseball is over and you've traveled a little bit that you just become a hermit all winter. You get, there is some fun trips you can do during the fall and winter also and you know one of the things that uh kevin talked to me about i probably five six years ago when i was still kind of a a novice about some of the minor league aspects of of hockey is so if you loved going to sioux city going to sioux falls places like that they have great ushl hockey there uh kansas city has a high quality echl team um Chicago has the Wolves for the AHL team. Rockford has an AHL team there, too. And Milwaukee has the Admirals. And so if you want to get out there and if you happen to go to some of these cities for baseball, you could go out and see there are sensational hockey teams there as well. So um, see some great action. And uh, I believe you told me that Sioux Falls was set like attendance records in the USHL a couple of times or something, too. So big fan crowd as well. Then that's really been a, one of the things that's frustrated me about the Canaries not being able to draw, too, is that you got a team right across the road with a brand-new stadium that broke attendance records where it's like, you know you're in a city that can draw fans, but you got to have a nice place for them to go to. And if you do go to, you know, most of those places you mentioned, you, you know, you might just find a familiar face in the crowd from the summertime, too. Uh, I know uh, I talked to some fans that also go to games. Um, they catch hockey during the winter when they're not supporting their teams during the – when they're done supporting their teams in the summertime. And if you go to Sioux Falls, you'll hear a familiar voice as Randy Preston, the public address voice of the Canaries doubles as public address announcer for the Stampede. Fantastic. So don't just support uh, the one individual team, but go out there and support your community. And vice versa, if you're a Stampede fan, come out there and check out the Canaries. And same thing down there in the Sioux City, which I believe is the Musketeers. Am I, am I right about that? Yes. And then Lincoln is the... Um, Lincoln Stars. I don't remember. The Stars. Yeah, okay, there you go. So see a lot of, a lot of USHL teams out there. And Winnipeg has the Manitoba Moose. And uh, I think there – so there is a – except for Lake Country and Cleburne, I think we have a minor league or, or junior league team everywhere. So get out there and check that out. 
I think Gary may have not to have a little bit in Texas to to get. I don't know my Cleburne geography very well, but I got a match within an hour of Cleburne. Heck, I mean, you go in the Dallas, you got the Stars and Allen Americans. They may, yeah, Allen Americans. You got North American Hockey League. They might have some teams on. Maybe not too far from Cleveland. I guess um, when we got when we get Brad on for Christmas, we'll have to ask him about that. Yes, Santa Allred will be back for Christmas. Speaking of that, and that's another thing, Rob. Okay. We were talking about with um, with hockey. If you're on the road and you're in the Upper Midwest and you're listening to some late night radio, AM seven twenty. If it's after a Blackhawks game, you'll hear a familiar voice with Joe Brand on doing the Blackhawks post game show. Absolutely, and doing a heck of a job out there too. Joe's going to be a star one day, fans. Uh, keep that in mind because that that young man has really got things going on. So, actually, he's already a far, uh, star. I should say it that way. He's going to be a bigger star. That's the way I should have put that. My apologies, Joe, for not not giving you full credit. Uh, speaking though of uh, Brad coming on, Kevin and I will begin next week recapping the season, starting with the Sioux Falls Canaries next week, and working our way up to the champion Fargo Moorhead Redhawks ensuring that Cleveland is the – actually, Christmas is on a Monday this year. Would Brad dare join us on Christmas Day? Oh, I'm not busy. That could be something. <laughs> that could be something, Kevin. Man, if we could talk him into that, we're going to have to work with him. So we might have Brad already on Christmas Day this coming year. So we might have to do that live. We might have to podcast that show live for sure. Uh, otherwise, though, so we'll be coming with you with uh, players, managers, GMs, uh, broadcasters, Man, people that kind of give you their take on the season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, anybody we can find. Anybody we can find who'd like to tell us about their team for this past season, we will come back with here. So, Commissioner kicked us off, and then by the time we are getting close out of those uh, 12 weeks of Rover, that I think last time led us into like late January, early February or something. Uh, in between there, Kevin and I will talk about the schedule. As Commissioner said, the schedule will be coming out here in a few weeks or maybe even earlier. Um, Josh Buckholz will probably sneak in here at some point to give us updates on stuff that's going on around the league. And uh, one of these times we're going to even have Carter Woodale on here to talk with us as well about stuff that they got on the social media and broadcasting side of the league as well. So I think that covers us all. And I think we're ready to roll out here, Kevin. So any other thing that I didn't think about? I don't think so. Roll the credits. Roll the credits. That's what we're talking about. Well, once again, we want to thank Commissioner Josh Job for joining us this week. For Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.